Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mudiwa Gavaza, and for today, we do get into how uh, businesses are being funded in South Africa. Uh, but for today, instead of uh, talking to you know the businesses themselves, we are talking to uh, you know a group of people that is looking to actually invest um, in businesses in and around South Africa. That is the Mine Workers Investment Company, and for today we will be talking to Chaupe uh, Koale, who is uh, the Chief Investment Officer for the company, uh, just around some of the initiatives that uh, they have going on um, at the moment. Uh, there have been a number of different, uh, you know, objectives uh, that they have. They recently announced something called Kulisani Ventures, uh, which is a hundred and fifty million rand early stage. Uh, investment vehicle that's targeting black-owned um, what they call innovative high-growth businesses in South Africa. So that's the conversation we're going to be having today uh, just around what's going on in that space um, and uh, at the same time what their investment uh, philosophy and thesis will be uh, when it comes to investing in some of these businesses. Chaupe, greetings to you today. Good morning, Diwa, and thanks for having me. I think a good place for us to start, uh, Mine Workers Investment Company, maybe we can get um, just a little bit of color, um, if you would, around you know some of the work that you guys are doing, and also at the same time, I guess it kind of makes sense, but at what point did uh, the Mine Workers Investment Company become you know, a venture capital firm? Sure. So perhaps I can start by uh, correcting a misconception. We're not a venture capital firm, uh, but we do invest in early stage um, opportunities. We like to consider ourselves a diversified investment holding company. We were established by the National Union of Mine Workers 26 years ago. Uh, with um, the objective of creating um, a sustainable asset base that would fund their socioeconomic upliftment uh, projects. Uh, over the past 26 years, we have uh, predominantly invested in established uh, businesses within uh, very diverse sectors of our economy, uh, some of the companies that were invested in that uh, would be uh, familiar to some of your listeners would be the likes of First Strand, Metrophile, Trekker, um, Prime Media, Piermont, Vox, uh, and a host of others. Um, all these companies have uh, in common um the fact that uh, that they've uh, they are established and are leading uh, players in their respective uh, industries, but uh, we felt that in an effort to diversify our investment activities further and also gain some exposure to disruptive um, companies that will be the the future established uh, entities within their respective sectors, it was important to consider earlier stage investments. To this end, 
we committed $10 million to Knife Capital's uh, latest fund. It's a Series B fund, which means that they uh, invest in um, later stage, early stage opportunities. So companies that are at a point where they can scale uh, typically globally, and that's when uh, they would invest it's a pioneer fund uh, on the continent, and that's why it was uh, an attractive proposition uh, for us. But one of the underlying investment ethos and something that has underpinned our investment strategy uh, over the course of the 26 years of our existence is having direct equity investments and in companies. To this end, uh, we felt that it was important to establish our own direct equity investing uh, vehicle in early stage opportunities. And that's where Mick Kulisani Ventures comes in. Um, we allocated 150 million rand to this initiative, and it's aimed at investing in Black-owned, um, innovative, uh, high-growth uh, opportunities it's a sector of the market where there isn't sufficient risk capital being directed towards. And we felt as an agent of change, uh, this would be an important initiative for us to launch. Uh, perhaps as a follow-up you know, to everything that you've just said, just around uh, the capital allocation and you know the, the ways that you guys are thinking about uh, the different amounts out there, um, as uh, the mine workers investment company, you know how you know how much how big is that you know initial um, initial part like uh, in terms of assets under management whatever metric you can share and then you know when it came to uh, the 150 million rand um, you know why that amount in terms of you know as uh, the the rationale for saying okay cool we think this is a sufficient amount of money to at least begin uh, this uh, this Kulisani fund. So our current net asset value is just under 6 billion rand. So to put that in context, if you add the Mick Kulisani allocation of 150 million rand and the $10 million allocation to the Knife uh, Capital Fund, um, you could say that our allocation to early stage investment opportunities equates to about 5% of our NAV. Um, but that's at cost. The idea is for that to grow over the next couple of years. Hence, we uh, are looking to invest in highly uh, scalable businesses. Um, and yeah, if that number became 10% of our NAV, we as a management team would certainly uh, be happy. Um, the motivation behind allocating 150 million rand was because the area of early stage investments that we'd like to play is what we call scale up opportunities. So where a business is at a stage of development where they have um, a product with a clear market fit and they're really looking for growth equity. Uh, that is something we can provide. And given who we are and our long track record, we are not only in a position to give these companies uh, access to uh, the capital uh, being the 150 million, but we 
We have partnered with a few technical assistance partners to ensure that we can also bring to bear access to skills and access to market. Uh, I'm sure you'll appreciate that uh, one of the most difficult um, aspects for uh, a small company is getting clients on board. Uh, having a partner like Mick not only adds credibility to their offering and their shareholder base, but we have a network of existing investee companies which we can encourage to procure services or goods uh, from the companies that we invest in. And that's something we are looking to bring to bear through Kulisan. All right. No, it certainly sounds, um, you know, like something that's uh, going to be interesting and, uh, you know, worth watching, especially if we look at that 5% allocation and also at the same time, uh, the stages at which you guys are looking to invest. And I wanted to maybe zoom in on that, uh, you know, the actual stages, because, uh, you know, those in the startup or venture, um, venture funding type of uh, community will understand, you know, a lot of what you said about you know early stage and you know companies that are now looking uh, to scale and growth and all of that uh, but for the uninitiated uh, maybe you could also Jen <laughs> you know take us through because not everyone you know understands um, this world uh, to sort of say um, in terms of the mandate that you guys have set for yourselves and uh, you know at what stage that actually is uh, because in the venture world there's a lot there's a lot of jargon that gets thrown around pre-seed uh angel you know pre-revenue post-revenue series a b c d e f g uh there's all of this stuff that gets thrown around so uh maybe you could give us that and i think part of the reason for that is because we have seen um regulators and um I think recently there was uh, a situation where the Competition Commission actually took uh, NASPERS's early stage fund, uh, that is Foundry, to task, asking them, what is your actual mandate? You know, because they tend to uh, invest in companies that are post-revenue, that have business, that, you know, are really looking to scale. Uh, but, you know, they were saying, but what about the ones that are just starting out? You know, uh, so different different Funds tend to have uh, different mandates or different stages at which they're willing to come in. In certain cases, you have a great idea, but you know, a funder will literally just come and say, "You're too small," <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So maybe you could just uh, uh, give us a little bit, of, a little bit of color around that. Sure, and uh, Mudiu, you'll be you'll be happy to note that you are in very good company. Uh, the jargon. Uh, <laughs> Uh, confuses me at times. Um, but I think you've touched on a very important point in that some of the terminology actually makes uh, this funding or this form of investment inaccessible to a number of um, SMEs or entrepreneurs. I think what what is important is to understand the various stages of um, development of uh, an entity and then you can understand where capital uh, fits in. So you spoke of pre-revenue and post-revenue. I think that's fairly uh, self-explanatory. So pre-revenue, before you earn a cent of revenue, 
post revenue, you've earned at least a cent. Well, we hope it's more than a cent, but you've uh, earned uh, some revenue. You've been in a position to sell your goods or your services to a client. Um, a number of entities will only invest in particularly institutional investors. So institutional investors are the likes of an MIC versus Nchaupe as an individual, right? Um, so a number of institutional investors will only invest in post-revenue uh, opportunities. And the simple reason for that is uh, there's a preference from institutions to invest in companies whereby at least you've proven that there is a market for your offering. Um, so having said that, it would then, by definition, I suppose, uh, imply that pre-revenue, in all likelihood, the sources of funding for your venture will come from individuals, so angel investors, uh, will come from friends, family, you know, a network of people who are close typically to the entrepreneur uh, and fund this uh, individual to get their business up and going. So you can call that seed capital, you can call it startup capital. I don't think we, we need to bog ourselves down in terms of uh, the exact um, uh, terminology you'd use. But like I said earlier, it's important to just think about it in terms of stages of development. Uh, there are some institutions that are uh, angel investors, so it's not necessarily exclusive that uh, all institutions will only participate in later stages uh, of development of entities, but it's important for entrepreneurs to understand that, that initially, in all likelihood, you're going to get funding from family, friends, um, in some instances, people have said fools, but I would like to believe that uh, people who invest in early stage uh, investors make, uh, in early stage investments, make considered investment decisions. Um, as the company grows and ramps up, the, 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 the funding needs tend to intensify. Because now you, you're growing from the initial team of founders and you need to bring in additional uh, team members who may be uh, required to help develop the product further or assist with the business development. Remember earlier I said uh, what's important for a small business is to get uh, as many clients on board as possible. So business development is very important. Driving uh, the top line, your revenue is, is, is very important. So because of the uh, need for a greater amount of capital, typically that's where institutional investors uh, get involved. Uh, and that we can term uh, growth equity. It's growth equity because typically uh, those institutions would want to become shareholders in the underlying uh, entity. Uh, in return for the growth capital that they provide you with. The company then grows to uh, a certain point whereby additional capital is required. So all these different phases, uh, you might find um, a reference to, let's say, Series A, which might be the first 
funding round where you uh, introduce uh, external investors, particularly institutions. You grow to a certain point and you require uh, an additional injection of capital, in which case then that next phase becomes your Series B round. And then if you require additional uh, capital, that becomes your Series C uh, round of funding. And so it goes. And the idea is to keep funding this business until it gets to scale. So it becomes an entity uh, that has... uh, um, prominent uh, operations. In some instances, you have uh, entities that have uh, geographic diversification, so they, they play in different uh, regions, whether it's on the rest of the continent or internationally. Uh, and the idea is at some point, you then have a business whereby it makes sense to start considering uh, an IPO an initial public uh, offering and that's when you would list on the JSE uh, you are now at a scale whereby you can attract proper um, institutional uh, investor capital um, and yes you become a public company so even your base of shareholders grows so hopefully that gives uh, a, a simple enough um definition around where all this capital fits in uh, and hopefully i've explained it in a manner that is accessible no 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 definitely uh you certainly have uh, explained it quite well and i think one of the key things um that people might then be wondering is because you guys do have a set 150 you know million rand that's there right um because i do understand that at some point you guys were um actually inviting people to to uh, to apply or to at least you know show their interest to say guys i've got this business um and we're looking to scale our operations and then you know they come to you and sort of present uh, their business case because that's the other uh, bit that goes around with this funding journey uh there's a lot of pitches there's a lot of things that uh happens from that point of view how much money is being allocated to every business you know because if i have the most most brilliant idea um, in the world. Let's say you know I, I've discovered the recipe to for 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 the greatest bunny chow uh, in the world. Uh, is there a chance that uh, I could get the entire 150 million rand because you guys believe so much in my business, or you know have you guys sort of sliced off to say that no, um, you can only get a certain amount of money, 20, 30, 40 million uh, rand, you know uh, per person that we're investing in? So for Mekulisani Ventures in uh, particular, we indicated that we would look to invest a minimum of 15 million rand in companies up to a maximum of, let's say, 25 million rand uh, in in the companies that um, we'd look to invest in. Uh, The science behind that is we were looking to create a diversified um, portfolio of uh, entities. Um, A lot of people who speak about early stage uh, investment will uh, be very quick to indicate how risky uh, a sub-asset class uh, it is. Uh, And one of the ways of mitigating against that risk is to invest in a number of entities. 
So our target in terms of number of entities that we would invest in is between six to eight entities. Um, we were pleased by the fact that we got over 700 applications. Uh, we managed to whittle that down to a final group of uh, 10 finalists. Uh, those 10 finalists uh, gave a presentation to our uh, panel of uh, investment committee members uh, over the past two weeks. And we are close to announcing which entities uh, we will be investing in. So is there a possibility that if you came up with an exceptional idea, you could get the full 150 million? Uh, the short answer is no. Um, but bear in mind how our conversation began. I, I, I made it clear that we consider ourselves a diversified investment holding company. The idea is not to uh, restrict our investments to just uh, the Mekunisani the, the Ventures uh, opportunities. Um, we have a core portfolio of larger uh, businesses. Uh, and if the entity uh, concerned, so your brilliant idea um, fit more closely to um, later stage opportunities, not notwithstanding the fact that it's an innovative uh, entity, there is still space for us uh, to consider it in our portfolio. Um, one of the things that does happen when it comes to um, funding businesses at the moment, and especially within the context of the language that we've been using um, from angel to precede, post uh, precede revenue, uh, post revenue, all of the stuff that we're talking about uh, tends to be associated with technology companies, uh, right? Especially technology startups. Uh, that's uh, that's the type of thing uh, that tends to be associated with what you're talking about uh but from you know the funds view you know what are you guys are you guys investing in specific sectors is it everything across the board is it only you know specific types of companies uh that you guys are looking at so maybe you could talk to us just around uh, what you guys are looking at in terms of um industry focus so we uh, we have we didn't have um a specific um, sector in mind when we uh, launched Mikulisani Ventures. We encouraged um, entities to apply regardless of the sector in which they uh, operated. That the criteria that we were more interested in was how scalable, so how, how much can this business grow, right? So how scalable is this business? Uh, and how innovative is the solution that they've uh, come up with? Because if it's an innovative uh, solution and you've got a scalable business model, then this is a business that should grow. Uh, I'm going to use the term, even though it gets used a lot nowadays, uh, it should be a business that can grow exponentially. Uh, the reason why technology gets uh, thrown into the mix when you consider exponential growth opportunities is because uh, technology breaks down barriers. You know, they, they, in the past, I mean, a, a bricks and mortar uh, business location is important, right? Um, 
your access to a supply chain that can get your goods uh, to the, 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 the various um, regions where uh, there might be a market for it becomes important. But with technology, you, you break down all those physical barriers and you can use digital channels to help you grow your business uh, to and reach customers in far reaches uh, of the world. So exponential growth uh, opportunities tend to have a technology-enabled uh, business model, but it's not that that's not uh, necessarily an exclusive uh, requirement. So we we were more than happy to consider businesses that uh, were scalable, notwithstanding the fact that they were not uh, technology enabled. Um, and I think that's something that um, I, I would encourage uh, entrepreneurs to not feel hamstrung uh, by. Uh, if you've got uh, earlier on, you said it's the best bunny chow in the world. Uh, if you know it's the best bunny chow, and uh, for whatever reason, there's a TikTok video that uh, goes viral uh, that encourages people to uh, have your bunny chow, then by all means, uh, that the you know that's in my mind a globally scalable uh, business. Um, and yes, there, there is an element of uh, technology enablement in the example I gave, but primarily, I mean, that's a food business, you know. So um, as an entrepreneur, you just have to be very resourceful. You have to be enterprising. You can't let uh, that the nature of your operations limit who you think you can uh, sell uh, your product to. Um, and the, 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 the recent examples uh, that we've seen globally uh, of companies that are expanding uh, speaks to that. <clears throat> As we end off, um, I'm very then interested uh, to get your thoughts about uh, the funding landscape because I want us to zoom out um, a little bit, um, you know, beyond just uh, the Kulisani Fund and the Mine Workers Investment Company to just look at general funding at the moment because you guys are an are an institutional investor um and because of you know the type of investments that you sort of walked us through uh at the beginning talking about the fact that you guys as an institutional investors you guys are you guys have money in a number of listed companies uh for example um which you named earlier on i think uh, i heard you talking about you know companies such as metrofile uh, that you guys have uh, have investments in, but now when it comes to uh, the world of Kulisani, that is uh, the world of startups and you know early stage companies, whether technology uh, backed or not, but you know these are much smaller companies. People are actually still trying to figure themselves out. You know, you might have one or two people here and there. Um, so looking at things with that duality. Right. It probably gives you quite a unique view of what the funding landscape in South Africa looks like, because that's one of the big things that, uh, you know, small business owners tend to complain about to say, I've got this great idea or I've got this great business, but I feel stifled or I feel like I've hit a ceiling because I can't get access to funding. Uh, so maybe you could just talk to us about that. Is there really a lack of funding or is it that um, small businesses and entrepreneurs just don't know, 
you know, under which rocks to go and look for uh, the the type of capital uh, that institutions such as yourselves are willing to offer to them. Because to someone, a 15, 20, 25 million rand investment would be life-changing. No, you're 100% correct, uh, Mudiwa. And the answer is, you know, there's a bit of both. Uh, so is there enough risk capital? I'm going to call it risk capital because at the end of the day, that's what it is. Is there enough risk capital in South Africa to uh, help um, SMEs uh, grow? Um, my feeling is no. I mean, if you look at the uh, data points that we have internationally around uh, how much capital is directed towards um, venture capital, uh, there were a few stats that I came across, uh, interestingly. Uh, in the U.S., just um, over the past 12 months, uh, the amount that has been dedicated to venture funding is $269 billion. In China, that same amount or, or the amount uh, over the same period is $60.6 billion. In the UK, it's $32.1 billion. Uh, in Brazil, it was $10.6 billion. In Israel, it was $8.4 billion. Last year, the according to the SAFCA VC report, uh, last year, the amount that was invested into the VC, um, I'm going to call it a sub-asset uh, class, was, if I'm not mistaken, 1.4 billion rand. Now, 1.4 billion rand, uh, today's exchange rate, I think, is Maybe 100. Uh, just under... Yeah, just under a hundred million dollars. Now, relative to the numbers that I uh, um, (laughs) gave you earlier, you know, we, we, we are swimming in a very small pond relative to uh, the the, um, global VC funding pool. Um, Having said that, though, and this is the importance of coming up with uh, business models that are scalable, particularly scalable internationally, there are these vast uh, funding pools. I mean, you'll notice from uh, the likes of Yoko, the likes of Ozo, uh, when they uh, raise capital, I think even Time Bank, uh, when, when they've announced their recent uh, funding rounds, there is participation from international uh, institutional investors. So if your business model uh, has the scope uh, to to expand globally, then you will attract uh, some of these large uh, investors, or at least you'll be on the radar of some of these uh, larger um, VC investors. So it is important to start thinking of your marketplace as being global as opposed to just local. But if for whatever reason your offering is predominantly local, um, there is still uh, capital that is uh, going into funding uh, local startups or local scale-ups as indicated by uh, the 1.4 billion rand that was invested last year. Um, I think this year the, the, the amount will be slightly higher because 
the industry is getting a lot of attention. So that is very pleasing. Um, but you know, the, 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 the pockets, uh, whereby this funding is available, yes, is not always, uh, known to, uh, potential, uh, investors. So it can be a very, um, it can be a very difficult funding pool to access. Uh, I would encourage, um, invet, well, entrepreneurs or, or SMEs that require funding to use, uh, in, you know, resources like uh, the SAFCA website. Have a look at who their members are. Um, go on the websites of their members, understand what it is that they will fund because that's also important. You know, uh, uh, I'll give you an example. We, notwithstanding the amount of, um, uh, PR that has gone into uh, our Mick Kulisani Ventures initiative, we still get people uh, calling us to say, would you invest in an idea? Now, if they had gone onto our website, they would have realized that uh, that that doesn't meet uh, the criteria. But we, we are nevertheless still willing to uh, hear um, uh, people out because you never know. This could be the next Amazon. So, uh, you know, it, it may be an idea too early for us to invest in, but certainly we can use our network to help that um, company develop further. So if you are looking for funding, it's important that you research uh, as much as you can um, who uh, would provide the kind of funding you're looking for uh, and leverage uh, the networks that you may have. Uh, I, I've come across very tenacious uh, characters who, you know, uh, in, I, I keep getting the same message to please call this individual back. And eventually you do. And, you know, they, they, they have something that's uh, worth listening to. Um, and that's the point. I, I think if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to accept that it is a challenging journey. Uh, not everything is going to come easy. Um, and that's uh, the, the, the unfortunate uh, truth about it. So. If you are an entrepreneur, it is likely going to be a tough and challenging journey, but press on. Uh, those are some of, some of the words of encouragement that are coming out, uh, from, uh, Chaupe, uh, Koale, who is, uh, the chief investment officer over at the Mine Workers Investment Company. Um, he was giving us some insight into some of, uh, you know, the investment activities, uh, because they've typically been, they've been around for more than two decades and, uh, uh, typically been investing as an institutional investor in a lot of uh, listed companies, but uh, they have recently um, noticed a funding gap, you know, when it comes to some of the early stage companies that are out there, especially ones that have ideas uh, that are literally on the edge of, you know, about to, you know, skyrocket or the ones that, are, you know, they've proven their business model and they are just looking to scale their businesses because uh, a lot of the time what you need um, is uh, the type of capital that's going to fan the flames um, of your growth and that's what they're talking about. They had um, an application process and they said that they should be announcing some winners. Um, I don't know if I can call it winners because I feel like this is probably um, you know the, the start of a journey in, in a sense 
sense because you you get the money but you now have to actually use the money to do um what so what it's meant to do uh so they will be you know giving out uh that amount of money it's roughly 10 million dollars uh, or 150 million rand uh that they have that set aside in a fund called kulisani and he was just uh walking us through uh the the fund there and um how they're thinking around uh how they're thinking around who to invest in how to invest you know at which stage um he actually uh, explained quite well uh the various stages that businesses tend to find themselves at and the type of capital that they are looking to deploy um, in the space. And then we ended off just talking about what's going on in the general uh, funding landscape because um, a lot of entrepreneurs and small business owners are um, quite frustrated at the moment about the state of affairs um, when it comes to um, looking for the type of capital that's going to get them uh, to the next stage. And in certain cases, people will not even have a business idea, but they think uh, that they have something that's brilliant uh, that just needs a little bit of money to actually get um, off the ground. So sort of talking us through uh, the tension between um, all of those different requirements because that is the nature um, of South Africa. When you then hear uh, about uh, the amounts of money that are being poured um, into startups, um, he gave us a, a, a rundown um, of venture capital amounts that are being invested in the UK, in Israel, in Brazil, uh, and especially in the United States, where that number is beyond two hundred billion dollars, uh, you know, per year. That is a huge amount of money. That's what uh, roughly three trillion uh, rand. That uh, and within the context of South Africa, that's pretty much 60-65% of GDP, you know, that's going towards these companies, which makes you understand in certain senses why Amazon, Facebook, Google, Amazon are the way that they are because there's so much money that's being thrown in that way. I think on the last point for me, it was quite interesting to hear how much money is being invested by some of the smaller countries, you know, such as Israel, but more in fact, Brazil, because uh, Brazil, within the context of the global economy, tends to be um, compared a lot with South Africa because it's an emerging market country. Um, and the amount of money, I think you said 10 billion, uh, that's being you know pushed uh, in terms of startups, 10 billion dollars as as compared to our 100 million dollars. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough state of affairs, and we hope that uh, you know more funders and investors such as MIC will be coming to the party. And Chope, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Mudiwa. It's been a pleasure. This is Mudiwa's take. A hundred million dollars as compared to ten billion dollars uh, that's being invested by Brazil when it comes to this venture capital space. Um, I think they said eight billion for um, Israel, but the more than two hundred billion uh, that's being invested in the U.S. Clearly, uh, there's more that needs to be done when it comes to funding uh, startups and small businesses in South Africa. Um, obviously, there's a difference because um, your technology-backed businesses tend 
tend to have uh, a little bit more leverage and leeway in terms of the scale uh, that they can achieve, you know, as evidenced by the likes of Facebook, Amazon, um, you know, Google and Apple, you know, that seem to be the poster children at the moment uh, for what it means to be a giant Silicon Valley tech company. And and if we are going to be achieving um, the same in South Africa, then it becomes a a bit tough to look at, uh, you know, amounts like what we are doing um, because there's so much more that can be done. And I'm pretty sure uh, that there are ideas uh, for days that are out there. But perhaps the other way to also then look at the whole thing, especially when you look at trading blocks. Yes, you've got big countries because Brazil is a big country. And if you look at China, China is also a big country and the U.S. is a huge country. So if you're going to be competing with the likes of the U.S. and China, uh, perhaps instead of looking at it on an individual country level, um, perhaps an Africa-led focus might be the best way forward looking at uh, the flow of capital. I think roughly at the moment, uh, some of the last figures that I've seen and heard is that in 2021, we are on track to um, have roughly two or so billion dollars um, worth of uh, funding into startups uh, that would have, you know, would have happened. Uh, Much more respectable than the hundred million dollars, but still way below because it simply means as a continent, for example, that less money is going into uh, some of these startups than one country like Brazil. You know what I mean? So when you think about it from that point of view, then it puts a lot of things um, into scale. And if there's anything that uh, would probably help is to take uh, that uh, Africa wide approach, because you then, you know, for businesses that are looking to scale, you're no longer limited by, let's say, the 50, 60 million people uh, that are in South Africa. But now you can address a market uh, that's um, close to a billion people, which puts you in line um, with India that has a billion people, China, which has more than a billion people, um, and then the United States, roughly uh, 300, 350 um, million people that are in that country. So when you're looking for scale, uh, sort of banding together as countries on the continent would likely be a better approach, especially um, if we're going to help um, our early stage uh, startup businesses uh, to actually grow and scale uh, so that we can have uh, the Amazons, Facebooks, and Googles of this world coming uh, from the continent. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is Paige Muller. I've been Murio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So for myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.